Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to Life Lessons from Sport and Beyond. My name is Simon Mundy and this week's guest really is superb. His name is Henry Fraser. He is a best-selling painter, a best-selling author and a hugely in-demand public speaker. He is someone who is able to make every day a good day and that comes down to three things primarily, acceptance, presence and gratitude. Now, when he was 17 years old, Henry's life changed in a moment when he was paralysed from the shoulders down after breaking his neck, diving into the sea in Portugal. In the weeks that followed, he nearly died several times and he contracted MRSA and pneumonia. But Henry's hardest moment actually came a few months after his accident. It was shortly after he had first caught sight of his reflection that he experienced a profound breakdown, swiftly followed by a breakthrough that really started the process of him becoming the man he is today. Now, before his accident, despite being an academy rugby player for Saracens, Henry describes himself as being quite fearful and anxiety prone, basically a glass half empty kind of guy. But he's definitely not that anymore. And the lessons Henry shares about the power of acceptance, presence and gratitude are so profound and simple to understand. And these really are the key skills any of us can develop to live a good and happy life, whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in. This really was such a humbling pleasure to record, and I know you will enjoy it. Before we get to the conversation, a bit of important housekeeping from me. Firstly, I'm soon going to be having a short break from putting out full-length episodes, probably starting after next week's conversation. Basically, I just need to focus on finishing my book, so I'm going to be putting all my energy and attention on that for a short while. I will continue to be putting out mini episodes every week, as well as the occasional longer one, and I will be back properly very soon. So please do stay subscribed, and please do share this week's episode too. It really does make a big difference. Right, time for this week's conversation. Here is the incredible Henry Fraser. Henry Fraser, how are you? I'm very good, Simon. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. It's a sunny day. I actually was thinking about you, not just because of the podcast and preparation for it, but I had lunch outside. It was nice and sunny. I was looking at the flowers. I was really present with what was quite a picturesque scene. And it made me think of you because I know you love the sun and really soaking up what you could call simple pleasures like that, don't you? Yeah, I'm a proper sun worshipper, proper sun baby. Always have been my whole life. And actually, I mean, just for yourself, this, I was also actually sitting outside. Anyway, it's just doing a few kind of email bits on my iPad whilst kind of in my front courtyard area, just just enjoying it. Just kind of any moment I can get out there, I'm going to... Fantastic. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you managed to get out there today. How's the new house? Yeah, it's 
it's pretty awesome to be honest. <laughs> um, I love it. I absolutely, I mean, just having my own space, having that kind of my own freedom, my own kind of new independence, I guess, is uh, has been very freeing, has been very kind of wonderful step forward in my life. I know you've obviously managed some pretty epic transitions in your life. How was this one? Surprisingly smooth, actually. I think because I had been thinking about it for so long and I was very prepared for it uh, mentally and kind of went in it without kind of too many expectations, just in my head already preparing myself to kind of take it day by day, manage it, kind of get used to the new environment. The first night was definitely a bit weird. Um, it's kind of like I was almost in a hotel, staying in a hotel room. If everything was, you know, brand new, very clean, everything was just, yeah, a whole new experience. But after that, you know, I got settled in, just found the joys of Disney Plus, which I kind of sat in front of for about four days straight. Uh, to be honest, it's probably been, the, I guess, one of the smoothest transitions I've had in my life. And in my head, I was very kind of preparing for kind of a much tougher situation but I think maybe it being around Christmas time also helped that you know family around and I was, I was seeing them it, I wasn't kind of just here by myself for days even though I was for a few but even that was okay it was yeah it's cool I enjoyed it and I'm yeah thoroughly loving life down here well, it sounds great I'm delighted that it's going smoothly now you obviously got this new property you're a best-selling artist best-selling author public speaker if someone had told the 16 year old you that you would be doing all the things that you are doing what would he have thought and also the 17 year old you just after your accident pre-accident me probably would have just kind of laughed and used some language i probably won't be allowed to use on on this podcast um because it would have been outrageous to him it would have been a weird really weird yeah i mean there's there's the three things that yeah i never ever kind of planned to do in my life never thought i'd do never never crossed my mind the art side maybe when i was young but apart from that very strange very weird to kind of look at those two sides of me that kind of that clear dividing line of pre-accident and post-accident me but you know even after my accident i guess i thought you know a lot of doors had been shut in my life a lot of things have been taken away but it's given me so much he's just listed those three things that have given me kind of a truly wonderful happy life that i'm I'm able to live and um, every now and then I have to kind of pinch myself metaphorically of course um, to think you know is this really happening am I really in this house am I really experiencing this life because it is yeah it's great I can't lie it's, it's pretty awesome and I'm hugely grateful you know every day that I'm able to do things I love and enjoy great times with family and friends and enjoy my life really. It's so fantastic to hear that and incredibly hopeful and I think your whole story is and where you've got to and your outlook it's remarkable first and foremost but I think it can give so many people so much hope as well in the way that you have really evolved and just to give people a bit of context how would you have described your disposition before your accident I was a very anxious boy my whole life I was always always I used to, I used to worry about stuff a lot I'd always go into situations you know whether it's school sport anything always kind of worried about you know what's going to go wrong in this if I do this what's going to happen preparing for the worst all the time um pessimistic extremely you know I had a lot of anxiety social anxiety I'd just be inside my own head in bad ways all the time I'd just dwell a lot on things I'd spiral a bit it definitely like held me back from doing things that you know I can look back and think about all of kind of the opportunities and chances I had to do something and to do really cool things to kind of do better in sport to do many things that I just didn't take because I didn't think about what good things can happen at the other end I was always okay well actually if I do that I'm going to feel pretty bad if it goes wrong so I'm not going to do it whereas now it's a complete reversal on that I think about things always going to things thinking about the positive outcomes of it and if it doesn't go right if I don't experience the outcome that's not a bad thing I'm just always going to think, think about the best possible option because then I'm going to things open-minded. I'm going to thinking, how is this going to benefit me? But if it goes wrong, then, you know, that's fine. It doesn't, I don't dwell on it anymore. I don't worry about that. That's part and parcel of life. Not everything's perfect, but how we deal with it can make it better, can make us feel much happier and move on until the next thing. Because you never know when the opportunity, next opportunity is going to come. And 
what's going to come off the back of that. Yeah. That risk-averse outlook that you described as having before your accident is very common. Obviously, the brain has a, or the mind has a negativity bias. So the fact that you've managed to turn it around, again, I think is so encouraging for people. And want to dig into you know, how you've really transformed your outlook and so many powerful lessons to take from that. But we should probably start in the normal place. I'm sure you've told this many, many, many times, but I'm going to ask you to do it again, if that's all right, Henry. Can you just start with what happened on that day in the Algarve when you were 17? Yeah, so I was just on holiday with my mates after our AS exams. There's a group of eight of us. And, you know, it's the same thing we do every day. Lads on a day away, be out late at night, get up late, go down the, to the beach during the day, chill, sit in the sun, go to the sea, make dinner, then think about heading out in the evening. And, you know, it's the same routine we'd had the first few days I was on holiday, just different part of the beach. I just ran into the water as I had done the previous few days I'd been there. But this time, you know, whether I'd just misjudged the kind of wave slightly on, you know, the undulating seabed where I thought the seabed would continue to tail off. There's just a bit of a sandbank and I dived forward and, you know, I was in the water where I thought was a good depth, but I just went head first into that, caught my head and opened my eyes, expecting to get up out of the water, go join my mates back on the beach, start planning our night out as we had done the previous few days. But this time I opened my eyes just in shock really, because I was still there in the water crystal clear Mediterranean sea just I was there staring at lifeless arms just dangling dangling down in front of me could see the seabed as as clear as day and it was that was a pretty terrifying scary moment in my life because you know I was lying there completely unable to move anything unable to save my own life at that point and what was going through your head at that point then Henry just sheer sheer panic I was panicking because there was a point where I thought, that's it, that's me done. Which it very easily could have been had one of my mates not walked up to me and saw me there floating. They initially thought, you know, I was just joking around with them. I kind of saw all these legs out the corner of my eye in the water come close. Managed to turn my head a tiny bit, get my mouth half out of the water. He asked if I was okay, kind of managed to get the word no out. And then called over another mate, they dragged me onto the beach. And from that moment, yeah, my, everything in my life completely changed. I was then put in an ambulance, driven to a clearing somewhere, put into a, a helicopter. Then I was airlifted away from my friends up to Lisbon, there where my parents flew out the day after to be there with me for what turned out to be three and a half weeks of a pretty traumatic, terrifying few weeks of pretty bad illnesses and few kind of life-threatening moments. There's a some major surgeries to realign my neck because I'd dislocated the fourth vertebra in my neck so it slid out of place and in doing so dragged the spinal cord with it which severely crushed all the nerves below that which caused my paralysis and at that moment I couldn't breathe independently I couldn't move anything really now I'm able to kind of shrug my shoulders that's kind of I guess where my maximum of my movement ends but Portugal was a pretty mad time then flying back to England two and a half weeks in intensive care here then move my way to the hospital for six more months to just try and get as fit and healthy as I can and join join my friends and family out in the real world again. Were you aware at this point that you probably wouldn't walk or be able to move your arms again? So the first week and a half, I had no idea. I mean, obviously I knew something bad had happened, but I hadn't been told what had happened. But it wasn't until, I guess, like a week and a half, maybe two weeks after the accident when a senior male nurse came out to me and he just kind of straight up told me, you'll never be able to move your arms and legs again. With no warning? Oh, with no warning. Just kind of, it's just like, got something to tell you, boom. Which kind of at the time, obviously, I was pretty like, wow, that's, yeah. I was an extremely fit and healthy 17-year-old boy who loved going to the gym, who loved playing sports, who loved being outside, kind of being active with his family, with his mates. So suddenly to have that whipped away and a few words is is brutal i can look back now and see actually his forthrightness his direct way of telling me that was the best way i think to go about it yes he probably could have had slightly more compassion with it but 
there's no false hope. There's no, I don't, there's, I just have to deal with it. I had to deal with it. And, you know, to, I mean, my whole situation, I guess, probably took a good 13 months for me to fully accept me and what had happened. But that was definitely a, a starting point for me because I knew the exact situation I was in. And in tough situations, we have to be, just be honest and straight with people because no matter how hard it is to handle it, what helps you accept the situation you're in and you're able to then start thinking about moving on and adapting because there's nothing worse in life than giving people false hope, especially in extremely tough situations because it stops you from dealing with the reality of the situation you're in. Looking back, I can see it was the right thing to do, but obviously at the time, I kind of hated it. And that wasn't, correct me if I'm wrong, the hardest time for you. I've heard you talk about the day when you caught sight of your reflection. So was that harder? Yeah, definitely. Because I think I was, because at the time I hadn't, I'd just been in a hospital bed for kind of two months straight, whether it was in Portugal or whether it was in England, I hadn't left bed. And I always had this kind of constant, I guess this constant seed of denial in the back of my head that, you know, everything's going to be fine. I'm going to get up, I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to go back to how my life was before. But that day, I mean, I've been preparing for that day for about a week because, you know, it's a big day for all of us. So the hospital kind of plan it, make sure everything's in place for me to get up and to go in a wheelchair to then go out, out and about just in, within hospital grounds, not outside properly. But I was super excited about getting up, about getting out of bed and seeing all the places my friends and family were telling me about in the hospital like the cafe, the little courtyard bit, you know, these were just kind of pictures in my head that I was imagining. So when I was up, it was thrilling. I was able to kind of see others in a similar situation. I was able to just be out and it was awesome. And then it was late summer. We went outside, enjoyed a bit of bit of sun on my face. I hadn't been outside for two months and had fresh air for months. It was it was glorious, it was perfect. And then we're about to come through the main entrance of the hospital, two big glass doors. And the last time I saw myself was the day I left for the beach. And like, you know, like I said before, I, I enjoyed going to the gym. I was pretty vain at times as well. So I did look after myself. And then suddenly I was in front of this reflection of this razor thin, weak young man I was in this huge bulky wheelchair, these big armrests to help me balance. Was, I had a headrest because I couldn't even hold my own head up at the time. I had the tracheotomy still in my throat with an oxygen tank attached to it. I'd lost nearly four stone in weight. I was just completely, completely different boy. And the moment I got back to my hospital room, I lost it. Just, I broke. And it was the first... I'd cried a lot in situations until that point, but that was the time that, that was the first time that I'd kind of asked the question, why me? What have I done to deserve this? And I just cried over and over again for, I don't know, probably about 12 hours straight, pretty much. I was with my mum at the time, pulled the curtain around my bed, she gave me a hug, and all I wanted to do was be able to hug my mum, and I couldn't even do that. And... You know, I was just there spiralling. My brothers, we had this kind of road to the family. So my brothers came to see me and I was crying. Dad came to see me, I was still crying. He was always the last one to leave. And he left late and I was just still crying. And to the early hours of the morning, I was on some pretty heavy sleeping medication at the time and not even that could send me off. And, you know, I was there lying in bed and I just remember staying up at the ceiling and I suddenly just thought to myself, there's no point in me, me being sad or angry about what's happened. I may as well just get on with it. I was only able to hit that point because I just released everything. I'd let go all of these feelings that I guess I didn't know were there. I needed that trigger for me to, for me to suddenly kind of wake up and realise, you know, I'm not going to walk out of here. What that nurse told me in Portugal is true. This is, this is my life, and you know that was. That I hadn't fully accepted my situation at that point, but it was a huge step forward for me. And as hard as that day was, as hard as brutal as it was, I 
don't think I'll ever experience a day like that ever again in my life. But it was a day that I needed, a day in which that I needed to kind of needed to push me on and start accepting the situation, and start thinking about the rest of my life and planning and acceptance and all these other things kind of started with that moment and it was brutal but I'm happy and I'm lucky it happened that early for me. When you were in the depths of the emotions was there a sense of them being somewhat bottomless when you were in it? Those first few hours definitely. Um, I couldn't control my emotions at all. It was just tears after tears after tears and I mean, like I said, I, I'd, I'd cried a lot at that point. Whenever I first saw my friends or family, first time I saw them, when they would come see me in hospital, when I was in intensive care, I cried. Every letter I received, every card I received from people, I cried. I think that day was just the final tears for me you know, in that moment. I guess there was a lot that I'd been holding back that I didn't realise was there. When the epiphany or the breakthrough came at three in the morning, and you were staring at the ceiling. Did it come as a surprise? Um, I don't know. It was a... Uh, I guess maybe the surprise was that suddenly my mind switched pretty quick. And it was it was a weird moment. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was. I mean, I'm really talking about it, actually. But yeah, I guess it was a surprise then. Just that suddenly my brain switched over, switched. Suddenly switched into a different gear that this kind of drive forward and... You know, I guess that was the start of this kind of new me, this kind of post-accident Henry that I was kind of letting into my life. Yeah, that's a lovely way of putting it. I mean, it sounds a bit like a an enlightenment moment. Yeah, it definitely was. It was a because from that day, it was suddenly I was just in a mindset where I was thinking, okay, well, I want to get out of here. I don't want to be in hospital anymore. I want to go and join my friends and family. So, I spoke to my consultant and my physio. My chest physio has helped me learn to breathe again, learn to breathe independently without the tracheotomy, without the ventilator, without any oxygen tanks. And, you know, I was told at that point, okay, well, it'd be an 18-month process to get me out of hospital. So I was like, okay, what do I need to be able to get out? And they said, okay, you need to get to the rehab ward. Okay, what do I need to get to there? Ideally, you need to be breathing independently. Okay, so what do I need to breathe independently? I need to be off the ventilator. I need to be off the oxygen. I need to be a few weeks breathing independently without any breathing assistance at all and then okay so I've then sat down with my physio and we worked out a plan and what was an 18 month goal we reduced down to a five minute goal the following day and that was it that was then my focus and that was then how I taxed every single day I was in hospital from there on in that's how I take on many things in my life now I reduce I'm not looking far ahead. I'm just taking it step by step, target by target, goal by goal. And the five minutes that following day was to be able to, if we detached the ventilator and I breathed independently for five minutes. And that was it. And then the next day was 10, then 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, then an hour. And then you can start building hour on top of hour after that. And it was literally just tiny, tiny increments, bit by bit. And, you know, celebrating those moments. You know, what to... 99.9% of the population won't think is a big moment, five minutes, but to me it was huge. It was a moment to be celebrated, a moment to be enjoyed, a moment to be happy about. And I think that was huge for me to kind of recognise those moments, recognise those tiny those tiny goals, because it made me feel so much happier, made me feel so much better, made me feel like I was progressing. And what was going to be 18 months, I was out in six. And but that was only because I was in a different completely different mindset where I just attacked each and every single moment with everything I had because I knew that if I worked hard for 10 minutes I had the rest of the day to chill and catch up and recover so every physical bit of strength I had in me was in those moments and it's something that I've carried through through the rest of my life and I will have it for the rest of my life that mindset because it is so key so vital to me and how I progress and how I've kind of managed my life. It's a mindset, but it's also a skill, isn't it? And when you said that you'd celebrated these five minutes, so what would that celebrating look like? Were you just 
congratulating yourself or how did you squeeze the joy out of those moments? Yeah, I mean, I had an extremely kind of positive physio as well, a guy called Scott. He was brilliant and he would be happy about it and I could see him being happy about it and that and he saw me being happy and then, you know, I'd tell my mum, I'd tell my dad, I'd tell my brothers that, you know, I did this and this is really cool and they'd be super stoked about it. They would, you know, celebrate it with me and we had those moments together and yeah, there would be times, you know, where it got near the end where, you know, the bigger steps weren't as, I guess, as noticeable, but I'd still be in my head going, awesome, that was really cool. I enjoyed that. That's made that's made me happy. And even if it made me happy, but not anyone else, then fine, I don't care. If, if it's making me happy, making me feel better, then I'm going with it. Chunking big goals down into small goals, it's such a valuable way to approach them because... A big task can clearly be anxiety and fear-inducing. And, you know, I know from my own experience, we want to distract ourselves from that and that can lead to procrastination. And so doing what you did, chunking it down really, really small and then celebrating that. I mean, you're such good evidence of how powerful that can be as um, evidenced by the fact that you've just moved into your own home you're an incredible artist, best-selling author, public speaker. And that all comes back, doesn't it, to that breaking it down, forcing yourself really into the present and just little bit, little bit. And you do that and it stacks up. I mean, you're such proof of that. Oh, th- thank you. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, and it's whether, yeah, you know, whether it's kind of tiny goals or, you know, just enjoying parts of my day it is, I reduce everything down to the kind of smallest, most minute, minuscule moments of days because... You know, whether it's things that make me happy, whether it's just a cup of tea, whether it's just, we're talking about the sun and the start. And even if it's too cold for me to be outside, if I can look out a window and see the sun, if I can see wildlife, if I can hear the birds and the trees, that makes me happy. And, you know, in life, everything we're told, that things that should make us happy should be enjoyable. These like kind of big moments, you know, it's making more money or buying a new car or whatever it is. Those aren't the only things. We're surrounded by things that make us happy each and every day, but we just become numb to them because they're so kind of plentiful in our lives that we don't see them anymore. But reducing it down and really recognizing it, really looking around and feeling it is is huge because then suddenly those bigger moments are more kind of powerful than we ever thought possible. And it's the same with the things, it's the exact same way I was thinking in hospital of suddenly, you know, those tiny little goals if we keep celebrating them if you're not focused on the end goal because suddenly again when you get to the end goal and you've achieved it the feeling's incredible it's much better than you thought possible because the happiness because the joy is built and built and built each and every day each and every minute beforehand that you know you're suddenly awake to things and you know the joy is is you know it's hard to put into words how powerful and impactful it can be on on our lives and yeah it's something that I carry with me every day that's really interesting so you mentioned the big things and so many people can be used to chasing the big things thinking okay I'll be happy when I get the car the job the promotion the however many zeros in my bank balance the relationship whatever it may be but what you're saying is if you're not enjoying those little things along the way or rather, let me flip that around. You're saying if you do enjoy those little things and really squeezing time down, so essentially being mega present, you're saying it builds and builds and builds. And then actually, if and when you do achieve those big goals, then they're all the more enjoyable as opposed to perhaps a sense of relief. Because I speak to a lot of people perhaps who are going for the big goals and they're you know, whether it be an Olympics or something, they're postponing the happiness until that point. And then when they get there, they might only experience relief. And so they're missing out those crucial little steps that you're talking about. So really encouraging people to don't just think about the big one, small, 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 tiny even. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it, it is kind of when I see it with sports people on TV and they win something huge and they just go, oh, it's a relief. I'm thinking, what the like come on you've just won a ludicrously big tournament or event or whatever it is and it shouldn't be relief this should be 
but that is because it is just that one thing they're aiming for it's one it's one there's literally just one thing it's one moment isn't it and you're missing so many other moments along the way 100% you it's literally just one thing and on the other side of it if you have those huge goals and targets and you don't reach it and you haven't had those small moments along the way it can be hugely overwhelming and drag you right down to dark nasty places because you put so much effort in but if you're recognizing progress and the little things along the way you're happy through the whole process and if you don't achieve the end goal it's not going to hurt you as hard because you can look back at actually and go you know what i really enjoyed doing that i enjoyed this moment i enjoyed pushing myself in that way and keeps you much happier than rather letting it take you right back down to the bottom again right back to the start and you know there will be that initial moment where you have it but it won't last long so really enjoying the joy along the way first of all that i'm sure makes you more likely to actually achieve the goal you're aiming for because you know you're in a good place you're fueling yourself the whole way along the way but then even if you don't make it you've enjoyed the process anyway so it's it's win-win exactly because the mindset i always had before my accident was always okay at the i'd always always focus on the end goal and that's how i can kind of i'm talking from a point of kind of real personal experience in these moments because you know i had anxiety i had those things i know both sides of the coin i know how it works and i'm much happier on the side i am now even though i'm limited way more than i ever was before my body can't do 90 percent of the things i was able to do previously but my mind is in a much better place and you know i guess all that kind of physical strength i've had before i've had to move up into my into my head and into my way of thinking and but again it's not something that has just happened that didn't just happen overnight that night, really bad day I had was just the start of it. It takes time, it takes patience, but it's worth it. And I'd always encourage people to put in the time and effort because when you come out the other side, suddenly it's it's a much better, happier world than you ever thought possible. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'd always encourage people to put in the time and effort because when you come out the other side, suddenly it's, it's a much better, happier world than you ever thought possible. And I know that you say you don't really have bad days and the contrast between you now and the joy and the happiness you feel compared to pre-accident is so stark. And so I just want to zero in on this slimming time down into these really narrow segments because we often hear about 
the importance of being present. And as you were saying about just slimming time down, essentially, into this really small segment, I thought in terms of our practical guide to be present, I haven't heard anything better than that. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, it's something that I, yeah, I do, I do experience each, each and every day. You know, there are moments that basically no matter what I'm doing, I'm making sure I'm only thinking about what I'm doing at that moment. I'm really not thinking about anything else. And having a cup of tea for me is a very joyful moment in my day. You know, I'm drinking for drinking it for about 10 minutes, but it makes me happy. It makes me feel good. And I'm going to, why not, why not have that as a happy moment in your day? If it makes you feel good, then enjoy it as much as you can. And when I'm painting, again, I'm not thinking about anything else other than when, when I'm painting this. And if I'm not enjoying it, I'll stop painting because it'll make me frustrated. It'll make me angry. Or, you know, I'll stop for a little bit and I'll have something like a cup of tea. I'll have these kind of trigger, little trigger things that make me happy that I can step back from something, have that moment, then go back into the thing I was doing with a much clearer mind, a much happier way of thinking. I do get the same little frustrations that everyone gets, but I can say that there is nothing about my accident that makes me ever feel down or sad or angry because why should it? I think that's such good advice about enjoying it. So if you're not enjoying a big project or something, and I'm speaking from experience here myself, then it can clearly affect the quality. And I think that's what you were alluding to. So if you're not enjoying a big project you're doing, you need to find a way to enjoy it because not only is it going to be arduous, but also it's not going to be as good as if you can find something enjoyable about it. And your story illustrates that you can find joy in any moment, really. Yeah, you can find it in extremely dull and mundane moments. You can find it in moments that are tough. It takes a lot of work to find those moments, especially when you start putting these processes into your own life because they're not always clear. But if you practice it, if you always think about it, if you kind of are always aware, if you are present, you'll see these things that make you happy. And then you kind of, it just becomes second nature almost. Your mind just kind of clicks over and switches into into it. And that's what it does. That, that happens to me all the time. My mind can just suddenly click into a positive thought, a positive moment, and I suddenly feel good and happy again. And, you know, I'm 12 and a half years post-accident now and it took me a full 13 months to fully accept my situation. It's took me years to of practice to put these things into place in my life, but it's worth it. So you're clearly someone who is very present. So you don't live in the future or the past very much. Is that accurate? Definitely. And I think people talk about a positive future and having goals, having targets. But for me, a positive future isn't about that. A positive future is about putting into place now all the things that will make you happy in the future of these processes. So it's practicing now for the future, basically. And that's, I think, all I've done is all those kind of little things I've done, all those things I've put into practice in the past have given me my future and I know I'll carry them through the rest of my future to make me happy and make me make me feel better and I think when we talk about a future we shouldn't be talking about huge goals targets it should be about planning for it planning as best we can to give ourselves the best kind of mental coping mechanisms for the future so take care of now the now and the future will take care of itself and in terms of being present so you mentioned your art and I know that you liked your art when you were younger, but were a little worried about perhaps not doing it right or whatever. And so it sort of slipped away. And then you rediscovered it when you had a sore on your back and you were on the iPad and this app kind of stumbled into your awareness and it's just really sprung forward since then. And you paint with your mouth. Your work is unbelievable. I would encourage everyone to check it out at henryfraserart.com. It really is incredible. But in terms of the presence aspect of it, when you're painting, are you often in flow when you're doing that? And what I mean, you know, you lose sense of time and even your sense of self to a degree, just really get lost in the activity. Yeah. So at the start, I was very still in the mindset of, you know, things have to be right. Things have to be perfect. Things have to look exactly like the thing I'm painting. And I still wasn't allowing myself to kind of be as free as I as I should, should be. And just as the more I've done it, the more 
more I've allowed myself to try new things to be freer with the way I'm painting and now I do really get completely lost in it you know when I'm painting at home I've I've full-time living care so every hour they'll come and check on me but there are times where I'm painting where that hour kind of feels like five minutes it just goes which is yeah I mean it's I love it yeah I'm very lucky I'm kind of able to experience those moments in work and so often and so consistently because I often talk about flow as well as acceptance and gratitude but in terms of flow if we look at it from a sporting point of view people often say for example oh it's about winning and the trophies but I would argue it's actually about the reason we get into sport or art or music or whatever it may be is because we love the activity and when we love the activity we lose ourselves in it so what you're able to access so regularly so consistently in terms of that kind of hour turning into five minutes that's what everyone's searching for and really wants to experience whether they were aware of it or not and it's just a remarkable story that everything you've been through and you're able to dip into this so often yeah i mean i, I mean i love i mean it's i think the thing that you know art's given me is it's given me that same enjoyment that i had when i was a very young boy of making things and drawing things you know it was just me and my lego or duplo or you know, bits of card, bits of wood or my pencils. I was just there, just by myself, just doing my own thing. I always say in that way, adversity has given me a gift. It's given me that childlike joy that that I did have. But then at the other end of this kind of spectrum of my life, I do with public speaking and things. It's that's the thing that always terrified me most of my life. And I did really enjoy it. I just love doing that. It still makes me nervous. It still kind of puts me a bit on edge, but I enjoy it because at my easel I'm in my comfort zone I'm in my happy place but then when I give the talks it kind of keeps me on my toes it keeps me it challenges me it kind of it's in front of a different group of people each time it forces me to think of answers to different questions I'm going to be asked and and all these things you know people say it's always you know we always need to step outside our comfort zones you need or always need to challenge yourself comfort zones are a wonderful thing everyone needs to have them in their lives because if things are tough, if things aren't going the way you planned or, or you're struggling, it's good to be able to get back in that comfort zone and feel relaxed and happy and chilled. And then you're able to go back to this thing that's difficult in a much clearer mindset. And again, I've got those two kind of aspects of my life and I'm just grateful that I'm able to experience both ends of it. Yeah. I've heard you talk about when you were at school, you were asked to do a talk or a presentation in front of your classmates and you faked illness to get out of it. And then here you are now and your first talk I think was in Saracens and I know you've been on the Jonathan Ross show. And so your ability to cope with the nerves obviously is completely different. So many of us distract ourselves or don't want to sit with uncomfortable feelings. Fear or nerves or anxiety would be a classic example of that. So how would you distract yourself before or would you just try and escape those feelings? And when you have those nerves now, let's say before you were going on the Jonathan Ross show or whatever, how do you approach those feelings that you feel? What Do you just fully accept them, fully embrace them, welcome them? How do you deal with them? And there's one bit of advice I remember when I gave my first talk that the CEO at Saracens at the time gave me and he actually wrote down at the top of the talk and I have it on the screen every time I start is, he says the talk's not about you. The talk is for them. And that was huge to me because it's done, it kind of removed me slightly from those feelings, from those thoughts I was having because, you know, I was able to kind of experience it not through me, but through, you know, it's kind of, I guess, I don't know, it's hard. I know what you mean. It's a slight shift of focus, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it took the pressure off me. Just seeing those words always kind of just triggers that now in my mind. I think that it's not about you, it's about them is brilliant advice. I remember actually a friend of mine who had a bit of social anxiety said a similar thing when she was going to parties. And I think when you get anxious or socially anxious, what the anxiety does, it makes you really focused on yourself. And so if you switch that to, okay, I'm not gonna worry about myself, but I'm gonna be really interested, for example, in the people who are at the party or wherever you may be going. It's just that subtle shift in, in focus, but as you found out when doing the talks, it can have a quite profound impact on, on your experience. Definitely. And that was, I mean, I used to have that same anxiety when I'd, I'd go to parties and stuff. I'd be, 
I'll be constantly thinking, oh, what are people thinking of me? What are people do? Like, it's definitely something that has played on me. But I think also now I also I don't give a damn about what people think about me or or how I look or those things because those are those are their issues. Those aren't mine. <laughs> they want to judge me for whatever reason. Then that's their choice. That's their decision. That's that's not me, and that's not something I need to worry about. Henry, I want to just talk about acceptance then because I see your art about accept and adapt and you've spoken it took you 13 months to accept your situation and obviously what you just said there about not giving a damn so you clearly have fully accepted yourself but just in terms of going back to for example that night when you had your enlightenment in the hospital and that torrent of feelings that you were going through what have you learned, for example, about your capacity to accept what, if you'd have been told ahead of time, would have been unimaginable and the human capacity? So people's capacity more broadly to accept what they might think ahead of time would just be, there's no way I could go through that. Because I imagine that would have been how you would have felt before what happened. But yet you did go through it. You were able to accept it and endure. So what did you learn about acceptance and the human capacity to accept yeah i mean acceptance i've learned comes in stages first one is just you know it might sound obvious but just realization realizing you're in a bad situation or in a tough time because immediately you know when things happen we can put barriers up and go into this moment of denial that you know things are fine it's not as bad as it is but it's realizing that you know okay this is a bad situation i need to start accepting what's happened but you know, it comes in different stages and different guises for everyone because, you know, I had those kind of clear steps early on, but everyone will have those trigger moments. And it's, again, it's about being present and aware in those moments that you're able to kind of pick up certain things that help you accept where you are and the situation you're in. And I always end every talk with the same thing is that saying, I truly, genuinely believe that every single one of us has the capability to go through these situations and come out the other side with the right attitude without feeling that trauma from what i've experienced and what i've seen is that it can happen it's in all of us i've been on both sides i've seen it seen it happen and as long as you have kind of patience if you're unflinching in those tough moments we can all get through it and as I've said, and I'll always say it, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Acceptance doesn't, it's not a quick fix. It takes time. It takes work. It takes a lot of energy. I'm making it sound long and not very fun, but those 13 months of my life, 13 months seems like a long time, but in the scheme of things, it's not. 13 months of hard work, 13 months of acceptance, 13 months of horrible, life-threatening traumatic moments will give me years and decades of happiness and joy that I'll have till the day I die. That's amazing. Just coming back to the acceptance bit. So it starts with honesty. That's really coming through from what you're saying. And I've heard you say that you used to be physically strong and mentally weak, and now that's flipped. What do you think is the relationship between being mentally strong quote unquote, and acceptance. Being mentally strong is about almost having those kind of honest, clear conversations with yourself. It's about, you know, telling yourself, you know what, this is a bad situation. This isn't, you know what, this isn't what was planned. This isn't what was happening. This is a tough moment. And it's okay to get emotional and be sad. When you are learning to accept, being emotional is one is great. <laughs> it's part and part. It goes hand in hand. It's, you know, I'm from... And household that's I'm one of four brothers was a very testosterone filled macho competitive house and you know we had moments where we were emotional together but rarely but then suddenly we're all plunged into this you know whole new tough situation that we were feeling things we hadn't felt before and that was huge for us letting go of those moments mentally and physically through tears were huge all our kind of all my fears and helplessness I could release through those tears tears tell the truth if you're feeling tearful about it then yeah it's fine go for it i'd encourage it 
whether you want to do it in front of people or by yourself, do it. It's, it's a big, big help. And allowing myself mentally to let go, telling myself it's okay, telling myself it's a bad situation were huge. And, you know, people might not want to do that with themselves. I might need someone to talk to. Then go find someone to talk to. Find a... Go talk to a therapist or whoever it is you need to talk to, do it because you need to let that go. You need to have the honest conversation with yourself and it helps you accept where you are. Help, And once you accept, you can then start adapting. You can start thinking about moving forward, start thinking about your future or the next day or something that, that later on that day. Yeah, all these little things add up to kind of huge, huge moments. I've heard people say that suffering is fundamentally, psychological suffering is fundamentally brought on by two things. One is resistance and one is seeking. So if acceptance is the antidote to resistance, then perhaps gratitude is a bit of a tonic, at least, for seeking in terms of, and we've already touched on it, in terms of rather than striving and always wanting more and bigger and better, it's about switching your focus and being grateful for what you have now and you have developed your gratitude muscle hugely haven't you yeah and it's something that especially early on after my accident that i'd be lying in bed every morning and i'd kind of go through this list of stuff in my head of things that made me that i was grateful for and you know when practicing gratitude is again it's one of those things it's a lot it's a lot easier said than done but Practicing it is, a lot of people think it's just, you know, going through a checklist in your head and ticking things off. And that's gratitude. That's not gratitude. Grat experience gratitude and being grateful is, if you kind of feel grateful for something, it makes you happy. It makes you feel good. And that's gratitude. If you're going through a checklist and you're not feeling anything, then you're not, it's not, you're not doing it right. There are right and wrong ways to do it. And things that I'd always feel grateful would make me happy, whether it's thinking about friends, whether it's my family, whether it's thinking about something I'm going to paint later on in the day, whether it's the meal I'm going to have or the breakfast I'm going to have, or, or whatever it is, you know, that would make me happy. So I'd be grateful for it. And again, it would be something different for everyone. Everyone will find their own things to be grateful for, things that will put a smile on their face first thing in the morning. It doesn't have to be multiple things. It can just be one thing. But you've got to keep doing it again and again and keep practicing it until it becomes second nature. Like all these things, get them in place until they become, you know, muscle memory. We can train our brains to switch into certain situations. We can train our brains and our minds just the same way we do our bodies to be fit, to be healthy, to get the most out of them as we can. Henry, I'm repeating myself, but such fantastic advice. And I saw something you wrote where you said, I find the joy in tea, a TV program I've watched a thousand times, seeing wildlife outside my window, the sun, a nap, talking to friends and family. So you really squeeze it out of every moment. And similar to developing the skill of being present, you've practiced it, you've trained at it, and now it's become second nature. So anyone who perhaps is a bit glass half empty type which sounds like you were a little bit before your accident you can change that and you're proof of that no, uh, thank you yeah it is i definitely believe it is in all of us that we can find it we can some some have to dig deeper inside than others but we can do it it's um the title of my first book was the little big things and it is it is those things those little tiny moments have huge impacts on on our lives that we don't we don't recognize because like i was saying earlier we don't recognize because they are so so plentiful in our lives we've just become numb to them but if we open our eyes if we work hard to recognize them then suddenly every day does become a good day i'm gonna stop repeating myself but beautiful and that reminds me you mentioned your first book little big things and i saw you posted something on social media about your jar tip. In fact, can you just tell us what this is? Because first of all, I saw this. Secondly, I retweeted it. And then I went straight to my wife and said, we're going to get a dirty big jar 
and uh, you have a little notepad next to it. But yeah, can you share this? I thought this was uh, sensational, and she's dead keen. So, uh. oh, cool. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I because it's you're getting a kind of empty jar or mug or something, and having it out on the side somewhere, and having a moment or a few moments, whatever happens during the day, or if something makes you happy, someone puts a smile on your face, no matter what it is, no matter how big, no matter how minute it might seem to write it down on a piece of paper a little rip off piece of paper write it down put it in that vessel whatever you're using and each day just keep doing it and suddenly you realize how full it gets you realize it will start overflowing very very quickly and then it kind of it will triggers the mind to then suddenly make you think oh actually well i've had all those happy moments and why haven't i experienced this before why haven't i let, let this into my life these things are everywhere they're in every moment of our lives but and then also on the flip side if you're having a bad day if you're having a tough day you can go back to that jar and think about those happy moments or take one out and read it and switch your mind back to that happy place to those to that time or, or try and repeat it or you know if it's something you ate or something you had to drink or a tv show you watched or whatever it is enjoy it feel it and having that jar having that Whatever it is you want to fill up with with joy and happiness, do it. And it will really open open everyone's eyes, really kind of wake you up to what's surrounding you all the time. That's Gratitude Diary 2.0, even 3.0. My wife's been doing a gratitude diary actually since the beginning of um, of lockdown. So COVID, you know, a couple of years ago. And at first she struggled to find the little things because it used to be about holidays or or the bigger things and then it was just oh i saw a a nice flower in our garden blooming and and she's got so good at noticing these things it's uh, what a skill to develop and so i just want to do another quick quote of yours it says i can see joy and happiness and be perfectly content in what most people might see as very boring moments i mean who wouldn't want to develop the skill to that level as you've been able to do and i know you say that you very rarely if ever have down days and you're so much happier now than before and we've touched on presence acceptance and gratitude those three things are they the cornerstones the building blocks the foundations of being happy and content and fulfilled moment to moment do you think from my experience and everything I've been through, I'd say yes. Um, they've definitely been the building blocks for me. Acceptance, definitely the first one. Gratitude, just built on, on top of that, which then led into being present, being in the moment in life and everything I do. Those kind of, I guess, are the three. I guess I never really kind of actively pursued those things at the start. Acceptance, yes. But it was more just that one just led to the other, I felt. There was just kind of natural progression through those moments. Because then when I was starting to think about gratitude, it just I just felt it after acceptance. So then I started to work on gratitude. Then that led into being present to thinking about, okay, well, if I'm grateful for those things, then are there other kind of things that I should be grateful for during the day? Then I was kind of awake during the day to think, okay what what else am i missing what do i need to look at what am i looking for what's making me happy what's making me smile what isn't making me happy what's making me feel rubbish what do i need to let go of all these things and then that leads back around to acceptance things i need to let go of that are happening in my days and it's just constant cycle just kind of one through the other back and forth it's a never-ending cycle but it's yeah it just becomes part and parcel of my everyday life now wow People are always striving and looking for hacks with their mind and all these different techniques. But what you're talking about is really, I don't want to say basic, but... That's the thing. And no, yeah, no, I don't mind that at all. It is, these are basic things. These are, these are tiny changes that are easy to implement in our lives. And again, it is harder. It will be harder for some people than others. And that's not a bad thing. Just have to work harder. It's, it's the same as if, you know, you're, people training for I don't know, like a marathon or something everyone's going to train differently everyone's going to struggle at different times and different stages of it but getting to that start line of 
and finishing it and completing it, getting through the other side, suddenly you can look back at all those moments you had along the way and think, oh, there were tough moments. There were moments I really enjoyed. There were these certain kind of triggers that we had, but you get through it and it's tough. It's brutal work, but you get to the other side and it is a, you see things very differently. You feel very different. You experience life in a whole different way. Yeah. I've had a few conversations recently about the propensity that people have for always striving and postponing happiness for some point in the future that will fundamentally never come and always trying to be better than yesterday. And obviously there's some merit in that, but actually your story and the lessons you've learned is that, you know, happiness is not where many people think. It's coming back to those basics of gratitude, of acceptance, of presence. And actually joy is right here, right now, every moment it's there. If we can spot it, if we can find it, if we can take the time to appreciate it. I mean, that's what's really singing through your unbelievable story for me. Thank you. Yeah, it's worth, yeah, when I've kind of switched my mind into thinking about my mindset and happiness and joy and all those things, it then allowed me to be a much better person. It allowed me to be much better at the work I'm doing. It kind of opens up all these other things. I'm not I'm not putting my happiness on external kind of huge external goals. These are just things that make me happy, which make me a better person, which make me better at my work, which make me better with these things. But it starts from within. It starts from in me and in my mind. It, that's where it's all going to feed from. And if that's not right, then everything else I do in life isn't, won't be right. I'll get stuck in ruts. I'll get stuck in places I don't want to be because I haven't done that work internally. But if I keep, I've done all that work and if I keep maintaining it, if I keep it up, if I keep kind of those triggers, then I'm going to enjoy my life even with the huge limitations I have on it. They're not going to stop me from being happy. Why should they? Brilliant advice. Henry, I've repeated myself so many times, but I just want to say talking to you, it's been a real honor. And I've noticed just in reflecting as you were talking there, like how present I've been listening to you. And it's such a privilege to be able to do this and to talk to, to people like you and pick your brains and you know soak up some of the lessons that you've learned. And I'm incredibly grateful for your time and for chatting to you. It, it really has been a huge treat for me. The lessons you share are really profound and beneficial to anyone. So I just want to say a huge thank you, Henry. The way you've molded your outlook and your mindset is so <laughs> impressive. You know, I feel quite moved by it. So just thank you very much, Henry. It's been an absolute joy. It really has. No, well, no, thank you for those words. They're very, very generous. And, you know, like I was, again, like I said earlier, I really genuinely do believe everyone, we all have it in us to, to, come, to go through tough moments come out the other side happier stronger it takes time it takes patience but it's it's worth it and i encourage everyone everyone to do it thanks so much for listening to this conversation with henry fraser it was an absolute pleasure to chat to him and i hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation his lessons around acceptance, presence and gratitude are so valuable and it's clear from Henry's story that these are skills that anyone can develop and it is abundantly clear that it's very worthwhile spending the time to do so. Just a quick reminder, I'm going to be taking a short break from putting out longer episodes very soon so I can focus on finishing my book. That's probably going to start after next week's episode, but I will still be putting out mini episodes in the interim. You can get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. Please do be patient if it takes me a wee while to reply, as I do get a lot of messages and I am trying to focus on the writing. But rest assured, I do try and get back to everybody sooner or later. And finally, please, could you spread the word about this podcast as it really does make a huge difference. That's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.